Welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature-centered paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms, through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Good evening, good morning, good night, good second breakfast, whenever you are, wherever you are. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and I welcome you to Lunatic Mondays on CSMP, the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. Tonight, I have a guest who I'm very happy to have here on the show. His name is Christopher Hughes. He is the chief of the Anglesey Druid Order, a Mount Hamas scholar, and a member of the Order of Bards, Obates, and Druids. He is a teacher, writer, workshop leader, and guest speaker at pagan conferences, camps, and festivals throughout the United Kingdom, Europe, and North America, and has also contributed to the Welsh and English television and radio. He's the author of four books, more than four books, and the the Celtic Tarot. And I am very honored to say he's been my mentor. And also, he's my friend. And somebody pinched me because I cannot believe that I can actually say Christopher Hughes is my friend. So, hi, friend. (laughs) Hello, hello. How are you? We've had fabulous shenanigans over the years, haven't we? Yes, we have. That adventure that we had here in Chicago was... That was lovely. That was absolutely lovely. Yes, that must have been an old biog, though, because I've actually written 10 books. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's I read it from from the book from the U.S. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you know, no, that's not that's the right. It's not for. It's way much more I, than that. I I think I think sometimes Llewellyn only class the books that I've published with them as the books that I've published, and yeah. also books are not tarot decks. But even though tarot decks do technically have books in them, <laughs> yeah. So so there's a number of them, and I'm excited because. There's another tarot deck coming. Yes. So I know today we're going to talk about the Yuletide tarot. And I have you here. And I cannot not talk about the big brown book. The book the of big, Druidry. The big brown book. Yes. We're going to talk about both the book of Druidry. And we're going to talk about the Yuletide tarot. But before we go into anything else. Happy season, my friend. Happy season, happy winter, happy midwinter, happy Yuletide, happy Christmas, happy all of it. Happy all of it. And I cannot ever, since I met you in 2019, which seems like it was yesterday, but it's been five years. Uh, of course, every season, every Yuletide season, I think about you. I think about Mary Lewis. I think about uh, Krampus. And I think about all this beautiful season. And you are now embedded on my season, you know, like, yeah, because of Mary Lewis. Um, I'm your druid for the season. You're my druid for the, for the whole year. But um, but you are also embedded, and I hope that is, is kind of the same, with Day of the Dead and, and the Dead and this wonderful trip that you did in Mexico. I cannot not ask you. I know we already passed the season of the dead, but can you give us a little 
tiny recap of how that wonderful trip to my country was. I, oh, I certainly can. And do you know what? It's it's fine for me to to talk about the dead as well because there is um there is a common thought in neo paganism that the year ends and then kind of begins around October 31st. And you see so many people sharing memes of, you know, happy Celtic New Year around the 31st of October. But in the Welsh tradition, that's not necessarily the way that we perceive it. We perceive the season of death, the season of dying, as as an entire sequence of nearly two months from the period of the 31st of October all the way through until the sun is reborn at Alban Arthan, you know, at midwinter solstice. So this whole season, we kind of refer to it as the dead time, the dying time. Hence why we love all these lights and the, the festivities of warmth and joy that, that remind us of this living, you know, the fact that we're very much alive and, and yet our ancestors are not here, but it's a time where we remember them. So I'm doing this... Um, this brand new documentary, which I'm really excited about for Welsh language television. And it seems, uh, I haven't heard as yet, but there might be the possibility that they will also be selling it to English language television networks. And um, so the first episode we recorded bilingually, just in case, because people have shown some interest. But if not, it'll be subtitled and available on all the BBC platforms worldwide anyway. And um, and because, you know, death has been my life for 32 years, I worked as a death service professional. So it was just a part of my everyday reality. It's always been something that's close to my heart when the wheel of the ear turns towards Kalangeyav, Dia de Muertos, Day of the Dead, All Saints Day, All Hallows Eve. All of those things have held this, this um, important and special part in my spirit and in my heart. So it was natural for a programme that explores death, traditions, rituals and customs around the world. The first choice was to go to Mexico because of the fusion there of Aztec, Mayan influences, syncretic Roman Catholicism, folkloric traditions, all of this stuff that's been thrown into this cauldron. And in all of these different regions of Mexico, there were different flavors of those traditions and you know what Laura the people oh my word the people were so hospitable so warm they invite they wanted us they were like come into our home come and feast with us come and dine with us let us create a feast for you and they went over and above the remit you know we we kind of asked them oh can we come and chat to you about your traditions and that was kind of all we asked they launched themselves into so much hospitality for us. Um, it was really moving. It was really moving how welcoming and warming they were and, and their desire to want to share this really special time and what it meant to them. And to be able to, you know, sometimes you can, like, I don't know, participate in a ceremony or watch a ceremony or something or hear someone talk about something. It's a completely different experience when you're invited into those people's homes. And it was just the most incredible thing. And and the the one the one particular event that we were so lucky to witness and they were so welcoming to us was in a place called Pomuch. 
um, in Kampucha, in sort of the western Yucatan Peninsula. Um, and up in the north is one not far from the coast. And it was probably one of the most incredible two hours of my life, of my life. It was the most amazing thing to watch this um, this celebration that was very Mayan. And they called it, oh, let me bring it back, Hinan Peshan, they called it, which was like a, it's like a Mayan Day of the Dead. But, but then they also celebrated Dia de Muertos, on the first and the second as well. So there was this fusion of this event that happened a week before, leading all the way up, you know, to the eve of Dia de Muertos. It was so incredible. I, I'm, I still, I'm pinching myself every day that I had this experience and that we saw, we saw so much of Mexico. I didn't know if I was coming or going. Yeah, we went everywhere. We went all over the place. It was incredible. Absolutely. And I believe you that is an incredible experience because even us Mexicans, sometimes we don't have the ability to go to all those places. You know, I mean, of course, for you, the the TV, the documentary is paying for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of us, you know, look, see see it on the documentaries because it's, you know, kind of hard to do all that traveling and you know, financially. That's the reality of things. Oh, gosh, yeah. So I love that because I love you because I know how passionate you are about this work and I love that you were able to capture all of that and to capture your experience and now you know when I talk about it because you know I've been teaching about it for 38 years yes, yes. so now you know how like I I I open my arms and I embrace some of it and there's so much more that I haven't been able to teach, to share, and... Oh, there's so much, though, isn't there? There's Mexico so much. It's so vast. People don't oh, understand how huge the country is and yeah, how and, different we are. Yeah, and, and I, I, had, I had no appreciation prior to going of the regional differences. I, I didn't realise that there were still people speaking Mayan dialects uh, and practising folkloric ceremonies and rituals that come from that era fused with uh, roman catholicism so you you had so much color beauty and diversity um and it was seamlessly fused into one another and it was it was absolutely it was incredible and we got to go to um michoacan to a town called pashuaro uh, and Pashuaro Lake, and in the middle of the lake is this little island called Genizio, and Genizio claims to be the place that inspired the movie Coco. Yes. And when I went there, oh my word! And this family, um, a family of this lady called Benita. Oh my words! He was just the most gorgeous, the most loveliest, gentlest person you could ever have met her 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 son Benita who must have been in his 30s and he and his family and his older uncle his mum's brother they 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 moved me to tears they were so they really wanted to share her life and who she was and and how they created these ofrendas and all of the sugar skulls and the sugar angels and the marigolds and the and the the panda muerto and they'd made all of these things and then they processed to the cemetery, which was 
nothing could have prepared me for the sight of that cemetery. It was outstandingly beautiful and so poignant. And for two nights, they sit there from dusk until dawn and they wait, they, they wait for the dead to come back and speak to them, comfort them. Um, it was the most beautiful experience I've I've had in in such a long time, you know, of something that was so new to me. And it was deeply moving and and yet transformative at the same time, you know? Because mm-hmm. I felt because we spent so much time with with this family, I felt as and and the, the stories were so important to them of of her life. Yeah. But I felt that I knew I'd had insight into this this lady's life and living. You know, she was only 66 when she died. And Very young. it was just incredible. It was just incredible. I sometimes find it hard to find words because it was very emotional and very moving. And I'm so honoured that we were, you know, welcomed and and given such hospitality. It was amazing. I'm so very happy for you that you were able to experience this. Uh, you out of all people, because I know you will love and appreciate and understand and internalize. Mm. And you know that Benito's mom is now part of your galaxy of ancestors. Yes. Because yes. If, she, if she knew you, which she did because she saw you when she came back. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. She, had, she totally adopted you. Yeah, well, because that's what we do. Um, yeah, <laughs> you 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 witnessed it when you came to Chicago. I'm like, let's go here, let's go there, let's go to the. Let me, you know, give you everything I can. Um, yeah, and her son was just so beautiful. He was yeah. so gracious, so gentle. His name was Alicia. Yeah, and um, and he just charmed and enchanted us all with his gentility and his humility. He was the most beautiful person to be around. And we sat in that cemetery with him for hours. It was just unbelievable. Which is one of the best qualities of our people, Mexican people. We are so hospitable. We are so, you know, Mm. we love to, we love for you to be comfortable and to feel home. Oh, and fed. (laughs) And oh, yeah, it is a great offense if you don't eat the food, you know. Yes. And, oh, and so that's food. why when I invite people, I'm like, you can eat if you want to. You don't have to eat it because I know it's a very well-known fact that if you don't eat the food of the Mexican household, the hosts will be very offended. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I <laughs> I'm surprised that I don't look like a tamale. <laughs> <laughs> My friend, it's it's all wonderful food and, and wonderful time. And thank you for this gift because you I'm sure you you have had this experience. To see your country and your people through the eyes of somebody that had just experienced it for the first time, it's a great gift. You just oh gosh, yes, gift. yes. Oh gosh, yeah. I can imagine because you know I, I I see the reverse of that when people come here, you know, and um, but also to it feels I'm 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 deeply aware. I'm acute. I'm, I'm acutely aware of the the privilege I've had as well of the of the fortune I've had in meeting these people. And getting to have these experiences um, and as part of my job now, you know, 
And and it was more than just a job because I'm very passionate about death services and the the whole um, the mortuary rituals and practices of death around the world. I am fascinated by that, which is why I suppose they picked me to be the presenter. And um, because I think you need that passion in order for you to to do it justice and also have people feel what you feel when, when they're watching, you know. And it was incredible. So the next thing is we go to India. Wow. On the 2nd of February, we're going to the city of the dead, um, Varanasi. Wow. So that will be um, incredible. And if you die in Varanasi, if you go to Varanasi and die there, I believe the the belief is, is that you then break the cycle, um, the karmic cycle of reincarnation. So if you die in Varanasi, you no longer return on that wheel and and that you progress to you know whatever is the next level for that particular set of um faiths or beliefs so that'll be fascinating to 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 be in a place that is entirely um it circumnavigates the dead and those who are dying as well um so i'm, I'm so looking forward to to experiencing that it'll be and bonkers. we are looking forward to for those documentaries to come out and Hopefully, like you say, they they hopefully made him on uh, English and sell it to the United States. Yes. Not. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. But even you will be telling us when they come out. Oh gosh, yeah, I'll be singing like a character. So I would imagine it will be next Christmas. So not um, Christmas 2024, because we don't finish filming until the end of August. We finish in Indonesia in um, in August. So it's it's like ten months of filming in total. You know. So. So, yeah, so I've got, well, I've got a slight little break now at home for a couple of weeks before the Yuletide, mm-hmm. uh, before it goes crazy again. Wow. So you've been very busy because this year you started this series of documentaries. You went to Mexico. Um, you've been traveling all over the world. I know it was this year when I saw you here in Chicago. And then in the midst of all of that, you wrote this wonderful book. I did. And publish it. And then right after that, you wrote this wonderful book for the world <laughs> and publish it. So I know <laughs> the description of today's show is about, we're going to talk about the tarot. But I cannot have you here and not talk about this book. Um, Brown book. <laughs> how proud are you of the Book of Druidry? You know, um, I'm really proud, actually, because... I I I battled for for a while because there there was a suggestion that it would be nice if I wrote a book for people who may be interested in druidry or or the Celtic mysteries and didn't necessarily know where to go and and I was a little bit kind of like oh do I really want to write a beginner's book and and I battled with that for a while until a friend said to me this um said we always need those books because there are always new people. And if the only new books were written 20 years ago, they might be slightly out of date or there could be new things that need to be said that are more pressing or more relevant to the time that we live in now. And that we always need those books and we always need the perspectives of people who have been doing this, you know, for, for, for a while, it's been a while now. And, um, and I thought, Oh yeah, that's fair enough, actually. So I sat down and thought, 
I'm going to write this with a person in mind and I'm going to write it as if I'm writing them a letter. You know, so so I, I had this person in mind constantly as I was writing this book and to try and get across what I believe to be the, the very heart and magic of the Celtic mysteries. Uh, and that covers things like, uh, you know, not only the history of it, but also things like uh, meditation, offerings, the making of offerings, what ritual is and why ritual is and why we do it. But also I wanted to explore things like magic because sometimes I think people don't realise that some Druids actually practice magic and we do. So, you know, the order that I had is a magical order. We practice magic. And I needed to explore that in a way that people would understand like, oh, actually, they do practice magic. And there's a lot which is there's a lot of druidic practice of the, the doing of druidry that is almost indistinguishable from witchcraft you know if you were to see us on the sixth night of the new moon when we gather in the woods and you you would you would kind of think oh those people are practicing witchcraft you know even though technically we're we're practicing an expression of our druidry there are times where it's almost indistinguishable because there are folk practices folkloric concepts and philosophies um that are tied into our magical expression and so i'm i was hopeful that i could write a book that would show people that druids are not that different from other pagans and other people who practice practice forms of witchcraft where all we all come from the same cauldron and we just have a different lens through which we might see the world you know and our place within it and of course this lens is seeing that through through the eye of somebody who is not only a Celt but also a Welsh Celt and and so much of Welsh Celticism inspires modern paganism, not just Druidry, but also modern pagan witchcraft and other traditions of witchcraft. So I wanted to get some of those things across in a way that was friendly and warm and contemplative, but also practical for people, you know. So and this was the product. And it's a it's a big book. <laughs> it's a big book. And <laughs> it has well, you put here um, reflections, practices, and I see a lot of blank spaces for people to write their notes and their experiences. That's right. So I have things like this, you see. So I have these sections in here. and But there's a story behind this. So I have I have friends who cringe when they see the outward expression of my relationship with books because I am literally the butcherer of books <laughs> I bend them over I stick labels in them I write in the margins I write between lines I highlight pages because I love them so much they, they're friends you know and um and I can't I can't have I got anything at hand I don't um so my my books are, are used and they're loved and I wanted that love to come across in this book. So, and there's this thing, right? I'm sure you've heard of this thing called marginalia. So marginalia is when people make notes in the margins of books. And because I study Celtic material, I, I tend to go to the university library in my in the nearest city here, Bangor, and look in all of these 
you know, old dusty books from the turn of the last century and the century before and the one before that. And there are students of Celtic studies over, well, two centuries that have been writing notes in pencil or ink in the margins of these books. And, you know, I've learned so much from those marginalia because they're the thoughts of these people combined with the thoughts of the author and I thought, do you know what? Can you imagine, right? There's that there's there's a there's a little lady. She lives in Montana and she gets my book and she writes all of her thoughts in it. And in 60 years' time, that book finds itself in a secondhand bookshop in Chicago. You know? And somebody buys that book and they're like, there's writing in this. There's thoughts in this, you know? And that really excites me because it because I've had a sense of the the symbolic immortality of those people who inspired me. I have no idea who they were, what their names were, but their thoughts and ideas have influenced and inspired me through the marginalia of someone else's work. Mm -hmm. I find that really magical that it's as if these people, these ancestors have reached through time with a little microphone and they've gone, psst, I've got something to tell you. And they just like whisper these secrets through these margins. And I wanted people to do the same with, with this because I love that so much. And that is a beautiful thought. And it brings to mind our traditions, our oral traditions, you know, the, the indigenous traditions of Mexico, as you witness in this trip, it's, it's word to mouth, right? People are telling other people the stories, the traditions, the yeah. why's in the house, we do this, that and the other which um celtic mysteries you know they have also druidry has that mysticism about it that it was passed from uh oral traditions and even though it is in a book it is written but it follows that tradition it follows that the wisdom of someone that already chew it and now they can tell you like when i chew it it tasted like this yeah so now i do it this way and it yeah. kind of it kind of ties it all together, you know, because you're talking about the ancestors yet again yeah. through this book. The, one of the thoughts that blew my mind when I started doing this pagan uh, practices 15 years ago was when someone said, "We are the ancestors of the next generations." It exactly. blew my mind because I've never birthed their children, but mm. I am indeed or will be and in the far, far future, um, somebody's ancestor. In exactly. Just fascinating. It's fascinating. And that can be transmitted through a book, you know? So so this book, um, what not this exact copy, but I've I've also done those exercises in my own book, which sounds really indulgent, I know, but um, but I've done the exercises and and in the in the beginning of that book, which will then just be sent out to a secondhand bookshop somewhere. Um, I, there's, there's a verse, and I can't remember where on earth I, I came across this verse, but I've memorized it ever since. And I found it inside a book, and it said, When I'm dead and in my grave and all my bones are rotten, here's a book for you to look when I am quite forgotten. And so I have no idea who wrote that, but I keep using it. So whenever I gift somebody a book, I write that phrase in it. And because these are treasures, 
yeah, you know, and, and they can they can do so much more. And I just wanted that the spirit of marginalia, the spirit of thoughts and concepts by persons unknown to bleed into the future. So I do hope, and, and I've had lovely messages from people saying, Oh, I've I've written in them and you know, and and this is what I've done. And I'm like, yes, great, because when you're dead, somebody will grab that and go, Ooh, look at this. Yeah. This was my grab. I know a friend. I know a friend of mine. She's very discreet, so I will not say her name. Um <laughs> but her mom just found her great grandpa great grandfather's uh kitchen witchy journal and you can see the handwriting of the grandfather great grandfather which is you know priceless yeah um question for someone who is very very ignorant about this celtic business me and i know this is probably a very loaded question so if it is too much we pass why is it that people like me hears the word Celtic and immediately thinks Ireland <laughs> when, when Celtic uh, mysteries, tradition, magic, wisdom was so widely spread and how far did Celtic mysteries go? Hmm. I, I think I think the simplest answer to that question um, is the predominant Celtic influence in the United States of America came from Ireland. It came from the mass emigration from Ireland during the potato famine. You, know, you can see there's that, that really powerful statue, isn't there, in Boston, you know, of the potato famine and the emigration from Ireland. So there's there's huge influences of Irish culture in the United States because of, of what happened in Ireland and, you know, and other complications in Irish history. Uh, but there was also influence from the Welsh Celtic stream, but they were in pockets in regions that were heavily industrialized by means of slate. So if you go to regions of Pennsylvania and up into Vermont and New Hampshire, there are pockets of Welshness, but they're pockets that run through the expertise of industry. So those influences were much less, much more subtle. And the Scottish influence is there. But again, you find that the the Scottish influences into the United States aren't as overarching as those from Ireland. So I think when people consider Celtic culture, especially if they're from the from North America, their immediate point of reference by proxy of their culture is Irish Celtic culture. But and of course, Ireland is only 42 miles away from from my house. It's just that way by 42 miles. And. But it's a separate country. It's a different country with different culture, but we're still Celts. So we all speak a a Celtic tongue, albeit they're different. So the way the easiest way to think of it is that there are there are currently six Celtic nations. So there's Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man, and they're categorized as Goidelic or Gallic cultures. So they have their own language structure, which is very different to the language structure of the other three nations, which is Wales, Cornwall, and Brittany in northwestern France. And we all speak the P-Celtic or the Brythonic um, tongue, and that's Welsh, Cornish, and Breton. So 
we're siblings. So the Welsh, the Cornish and the Bretons, we're brothers and sisters. We're siblings. And the Irish, Scots and Manx, the Isle of Man, they're siblings. But when we consider the Irish and the Scots and Manx, we consider them to be cousins. So we're related, but we're not directly related. Mm-hmm. So they're our cousins. So, you know, when shit goes down, we've got their backs. Mm-hmm. So, the Celts will stick together um, because we have this commonality of art, of expression, of history. Um, storytelling is a really powerful narrative in our, in all of our histories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so is mythology and bardism, you know, the telling of poetry and the crafting of bardism. So to my colleagues, my Druid colleagues and my friends over in Ireland, there is so much that is similar. Even within the structure of our mythologies, there are huge similarities. So, so yeah, so Celtic is essentially a cultural continuum. Um, but also it's important to understand that Celticism or Celtic is not a bloodline. Mm-hmm. It, it's not transmitted by blood. It's transmitted by cultural immersion. Mm-hmm. So you can be immersed in Celtic culture. You can learn a Celtic language. You can integrate yourself into Celtic culture. It kind of makes you a Celt because you're immersed in that in that culture and um whereas you know to some they might think oh it, i can't be a cow because it's not in my bloodline and, and that's kind of an, irrele- an irrelevancy it's not something that is transmitted by blood mm-hmm. thank you so much for answering that and of course to learn more about the druid in uh a complete introduction to the magic and wisdom to the celtic mysteries if you are like Laura that knows very little about it, this is the book, the book of Druidry. But you know what? The the funny thing is as well, you know, you 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 say that and and in a way I would disagree because I would say, no, actually you probably do know quite a lot about it, because the only thing that's different is the cultural lens. You know, having been to Mexico and spoken to people and shared ceremony and you know, with, with people in um of Mayan um descent. There was so much that was similar, even the Roman Catholicism, you know, even that syncretic Roman Catholic layer. We we have we've got that here as well. You know, Kalan Gayav, the Kalans of of um, winter and All Souls Day, All Saints Day. They're papal, you know, um, Catholic traditions that have been fused in with folkloric traditions. And um, so even when it comes to things like, you know, Celtic might be a label that some people can't see past. Um, it's very easy to look over its fence and see similarities, you know, between because ultimately we're all human beings. We're all seeing the world and expressing our place in the world because of the relationship we have with the land, you know, and the land is telling us its stories. I don't know if you remember this. And if you don't, it's okay. But when I met you, you were given this beautiful talk at PSG in 2019. Oh, yeah, yeah. And right after you end, I approached you. And first I said, thank you. This was beautiful. Da, da, da. And then I started telling you how similar it was to the Mesoamerican philosophies, to the, yes. uh, particularly the Aztec, Sokol Aztec, that's not the real name. And that's why or or that was kind of the gateway i believe that friends fall in love with friends there, there's don't need to be like sexual or whatever that's when i fall in love with you because you love and adore 
so deeply your culture and i can see that mirror between us the the love that we have for our culture or people or mm. traditions um and to dismantle all these lies that surround you know because they they're mysteries but they're also get mystified by modern you know there's yes. appropriation we're going to talk about that um that happens also to your culture you know to be appropriated yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. you know people just run with things without knowing and yeah you are correct i mean the similarities between you know when i've been taking classes with you when you talk about um Carrywin and the cauldron and all of that i'm like it's it's so similar to the things that we practice. We mm. just call it different things, and yes. because culturally and ge geographically we're separated, or else we will all call it the same, you know. And mm. Mm. It's, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. So thank you for writing that book, so that we can continue learning. And you're welcome. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, because it's up to um, you know if. Because there are there is always issues of cultural appropriation, um, but there's also ways in which people can appreciate culture, and that's through education. So it's up to people like us to stand up and say, "Here, here is the point of view of a person who is native to this tradition, native to this language, to this culture." Um, take it from the people who live that experience, exactly. because appropriation happens when it's being done by people who that isn't their lived experience that's not their past experience it's not their experience at all in some cases and then that becomes problematic yes. so but uh, you know but there's there's all usually well I've, I've found often there are cases where even native voices will get dampened will get stifled um, there are still colonial attitudes, you know, like, oh, no, we don't actually want to hear from you. We just want to do what we think you do. Mm -hmm, <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. There's still that kind of attitude happening. And we have it with the Marie Lloyd, you know, she, she's in my Yuletide Tarot, of course, the Marie Lloyd, she's over here as well. And you see her there? Oh, yeah, I, I, I already saw Marie. her. And, oh, and there's one up here as well. See, there's one up here. Oh. Um, so there's there's a Mar there's Marie Lloyd's everywhere, you know. Oh, that is so beautiful. Because <laughs> it is her season. But even then, you can see issues of appropriation and colonial attitudes when it comes to Marie Lloyd. Marie Lloyd is uniquely um, Welsh. She comes from the landscape of Welsh. Her expression is Welsh. The manner in which people connect to her is uniquely Welsh. But what happens is she's also become, in, to, 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 in some places, to an extent, a figure that represents midwinter. And I see, you know, posters and cards, sometimes beautiful ones, um, wishing people a marry midwinter and such. But the Welshness is stripped away from it. Um, or people who might think, oh, I'm going to do that, uh, to have a married lloyd. And I always say, well, if you do, please remember where she comes from. And learn, even if you only learn a verse of her song in, in the Welsh language, that you start with that, you know, to honour her origin, to honour where she came from, because she's she's a precious treasure of, of our culture, and we love to share her. But also, I think there needs to be a reminder that when we share, please also 
appreciate the culture she came from and include some of that cultural expression in whatever expression the Mary Louis takes for you, you know? So either, you know, so learn a verse, learn a a line of the song, even if your pronunciation is really dreadful, it doesn't matter. It's the the trying, you know, the maintaining of that tradition. So, yeah. Sorry, that was my I always say the difference between appreciation and appreciation is education. Yes, yes, exactly. Because I have, and I think that feels like deja vu because we talked about this uh, a few years back. Excuse me, you and I, Chris, that I have heard people thinking that uh, we are appropriating Krampus. I'm going to show my shirt. For those that can't see the video, I'm wearing my Krampus shirt. And I'm like, how am I going to appropriate something that I'm not benefiting financially from? And I have studied the Krampus folklore mm. for years, mm. thanks to uh, Rosemary Nostelic, a Romani woman that grew, who grew up with the culture of the Krampus. She yes. introduced me to Krampus 12 years ago, way before the movies, way before, you know, there yeah. were shirts. Yeah, so well, that shows an appreciation. Yeah, and, and educate yourself. Yeah. That's all we're asking is educate yourself. But um, folding the page into more merry things. Uh, time is, <laughs> I cannot believe time. It's just when you and I get together, time. Oh, it's our, en- it's our enemy. <laughs> uh, the Yuletide Tarot. I oh, did I love it. do an unboxing video. Chris, you should know. Oh, you um, have? I did an unboxing video. It's, it's out there floating on, on the YouTube. Oh, I need to go and look for this. And I love, first I was telling people, I love the box because it looks like a parcel that is being delivered yeah. to you. And even the <laughs> book has the twine. It's got a string on it. Isn't it lovely? Oh, it's so beautiful. It is so cute. They did how, such a beautiful job. Obviously, yeah, and it smells very good. So <laughs> how did you get into this project it's so beautiful i know this is another of your passions but tell us all about the process of creating this beautiful work so there's a little story right and the story attaches itself to this card the list which replaces the traditional judgment card in the rider Waite smith system and and if you look very closely in the list you'll find that christopher is on the naughty list (laughs) <laughs> and so is Erin the illustrator as well she's on the naughty list but our editor Barbara and our other editor Cassie they're on the nice list <laughs> and the reason I'm on the naughty list is because this this whole project started um, with a bit of a shady comment that I made I know shocking because <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd gone into a bookstore in London a very famous bookstore and I would um, I saw the Christmas tarot and it was in a beautiful Dickensian box. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I need this in my life. So I bought it and I got on the train and I unpacked it and I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed. The list. There we go. So you can see Christopher Naughty. Yeah. <laughs> and, for those um, who are watching the video of this interview, <laughs> there it is. Christopher Naughty. <laughs> on the order list and and the reason i was disappointed was um, it was only the major arcana so i'm like well it's not a full tarot then is it and and also the box was very dickensian victorian pretty but the cards just they were very dark 
and abstract and th- th- they didn't sing of Yuletide at all. And I was really disappointed. I'm like, oh. So I was talking to my editor, Barbara, um, usual conversations, you know, oh, how are you? Have you had any new tarot decks and this kind of stuff? And so I went off on a shady rant. Well, I said, I bought the Christmas tarot and I didn't like it. I'm sure people out there do like it, but I personally didn't like it. And um, so she said, well, do you think you can do better? And I said, well, of course I can do better. And she said, go on then. Damnation. I said, damn your eyes. (laughs) So I walked right into that one. And I and then I got really excited. I thought, oh, I can do a Yule tarot, and I can incorporate various elements and symbols and iconography from the different, um, um, admittedly northern hemisphere, um, predominantly, well, not not exclusively, but predominantly European traditions, which is because which gave rise to to those particular um, symbolisms that are in the deck, and. It wasn't as easy as I thought because there's an awful, there's so many figures that are archetypal figures of the midwinter season. There's significantly more than 22 of them. So I had to incorporate a lot of them into one figure. Like so many of the different indigenous feminine figures of the birthing of the sun you know the these these motherly figures of yuletide there's so many of them in different northern european and other indigenous cultures of the northern hemisphere it was very difficult to whittle i think well i i would fill a whole major arcana just with these figures so so a lot of them had to be um bunched up if you like into one figure which was the empress the matrona because that's what they express and when i was looking at the different figures within that particular tradition of the mother you know burgeoning with the power of the sun and of that birthing of the new sun um it is the empress you know, they all of them represent that archetypal energy of the empress. So my empress became the matrona. She became the mother that gives birth to the newborn son, you know. And um, so all of my major arcana are archetypal forces within the Yuletide season. But the minor arcana, there she is, there she is, you know, so she has she has the sun in her belly, you know, and there's the seed of light in the lantern. In the depth of winter, it is the mother that gives birth to the to the sun. It's the mother that gives birth to hope and light and warmth and nourishment and and, and then nurtures us through the, the time of darkness and storm and cold. And um but my minor arcana are about the very human connections that we have to Yuletide. The very human. And and sometimes then they're they're full of anxiety. See? Seven of Canes, this 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 drive that we have to sometimes keep up with the Joneses, to outdo somebody else, the sense of obligation, the the greed that can also bleed into it you know that the anxiousness of it is there in my seven of candles the fact that sometimes it can just leave us feeling creatively drained not only emotionally drained but creatively drained as if all of our will and ambition has just like been whittled away and we feel as if we have to do stuff against our 
volition, you know, like this poor kid who's been forced into the nativity play and he doesn't want to, you know. And um, so I, I wanted the, you know, but also like the two of candles, the fact that the two of candles or the two of wands. Um, again, you can see here that, you know, this concept of the world is your um, potentially your oyster. And, you know, in the RWS card, the guy is or the figure is standing on a turret, isn't he, holding the globe in his mm-hmm. hand. So this is here, you know, it's here mm-hmm. in, the, in the globe that's in the card. And she's standing between two wands, essentially, that are candles in my deck. And um, but we also wanted to be inclusive. So so this lady is of Afro-Caribbean descent. Mm-hmm. And um, so we wanted as much diversity mm-hmm. as well, because sometimes uh, tarot can be painfully white. You know, and and now, of course, we live in an age where, you know, we can we can adapt these things to suit the necessities of the present yeah in a way that doesn't exclude people you know and um and i'm happy that that's in there so we've got we've got everything in there we've got people that represent the lgbtq plus community uh we have people of color we have people of different cultures uh because all of them in one way or another even if it's secular has a connection and of course her yeah (laughs) i i love the um and I'm going to be, for those who are watching the video, I'm going to be showing some of the guys from the Major Arcana. And I love this wonderful explanation that you have done. Of course, this is on my top 10, the card of <laughs> the death it's card. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Can I say something about him? Of course. You can, Chris, <laughs> you can say whatever you want. This is your show. <laughs> So, so my 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 death card there, Laura's showing it out. Um, is essentially a representation of the ghost of Christmas yet to come from uh, a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, and the reason I went for that is that there aren't any overtly expressive symbols of death within Yuletide. Not overtly or very obvious symbols of death. Um, and I was thinking of, oh, there's a tradition of telling ghost stories, but ghost stories don't necessarily relate to transition leading to transformation. And then it just hit me one day. I'm like, oh my gosh, hold on a second. The ghost of Christmas yet to come is always represented as a Grim Reaper type figure, but it isn't the spirit of death. It's the spirit of transition that leads to catharsis and transformation. Because I think sometimes people say, oh, death is the card of transformation. Um, And I kind of go, well, it's the lead up to transformation. It's a transitionary card. It's telling you that, do you know what? You need to maybe stop and take note of what's happening because there's the, there's the, the possibility, there's the potential in this situation for you to go through a catharsis, which will lead to transformation. But it's the potential for that. And and that's what happened to Ebenezer Scrooge. It was the potential for him to be transformed. But death didn't transform him. Death gave him the option to be transformed uh, by his own volition, you know? So Scrooge then took that opportunity and was like, oh my God, what have I done? And transitioned from who he was. And there was, you know, a redemption in that particular story. So so it just, and, and of course it, it it also, I guess, satisfied my love for Dickens as well. And it's it's totally, <laughs> in my opinion, what I see is is also a gateway. 
Because it's, exactly. point, it's pointing down. It's like telling you, like right now. Yes. Right, right. now. I, in that, yeah. as a reader, you all know. Well, whoever knows me now, I'm a professional author reader. Um, by trade, that's how I make my money. Please hire me. Um, <laughs> you know, as well as as well as lecturer and all of those things. But hmm. um, you know that as readers, we go to the first thing that cuts our eye on the card, right? Yeah. And the hand is such a beautiful detail. Well, this is a bunny hand, obviously. Um, the gesture reminds me a little bit of the magician, the traditional yeah. magician. Yeah. On the writer. But it's like you have the power. You yeah. are right here, right now. It's you. Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of like death telling us it's not me. You cannot blame me. Yeah, exactly. It's you, that. the one doing it. I mm. love it. I love it. Yeah. That's exactly what that means. Thank you for sharing that insight. Oh, that's beautiful. And even, you know, in the background, you can see there's a pub sign, a public house sign. And it's, of course, it's the rose and the crown. Yeah. Because I wanted to incorporate the symbology, you know, of the rose and the crown from the RWS system into it. So I got to play, you know, and, and even things like Father Christmas. Father Christmas is a very complex figure, and sometimes people might dismiss Father Christmas as this jovial Coca-Cola, um, hand bloom inspired fat old man with a white beard. But there's so much complexity to the figure of Father Christmas before it becomes um, Santa Claus, but is also fused with Sinterklaas and all of these other figures. And Father Christmas is is a complex figure that contains so much pageantry and so much history into one figure that it was naturally my hermit, you know, because when we look at Father Christmas and the figure of Father Christmas, it will shine a light on all of those figures that inhabit the Yuletide landscape and show direction and clarity and show a way through that complexity, um, which, of course, is the role of the hermit in so many cases. So it was really exciting to play with it, you know, to play with the figures. There are so many that I wish we can talk, but I'm trying to pick, like, the ones that are the most... For me, I cannot <laughs> let you go without talking about Krampus. Oh, see, it's like, because I, I had to have the Krampus in there. We have Austrian friends who celebrate Krampus now. And we used to, believe it or not, here in North Wales, there used to be an Austrian restaurant. Um, and it was here for de- decades. And unfortunately, I think it became one of the victims of the pandemic, you know. Um, but they used to host Krampusnacht, Krampus nights at this restaurant. So there's always been this subtle influence of Krampus in British culture as well, because we're so close to the continent, you know. It's only mm-hmm. 21 miles that separates our narrowest point from the, the continent. Wait, wait, wait. You, you keep blowing my mind with those numbers, because 40 miles to Ireland, Ireland. and 21 miles to... To France. I mean, I got the train to France last week. I just got the train from London straight to Paris. And and it's only under the water for 15 minutes. Wow. They're so close. And when when cultures are that close, their influences bleed into other cultures. So Krampus has always been in the background of my Yuletide. And I have this appreciation and love of that. 
um, tradition that tells us something about that region, you know. And and there's a, a postcard, of course, that, you know, the image that you've got on your shirt is a very quintessential image, and it comes from an early 20th century postcard. So every every other image in my deck is original. You know, it all comes from my imagination, um, apart from maybe the figure of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Um, but the Krampus is definitely, it's lifted directly off a postcard that thankfully is no, no longer in copyright. And um, and we were able to reproduce it because that's the one that I wanted, you know, was the 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 what what Krampus represents in Yuletide. And and whilst it's a slight stretch to come because they refer to him as the Christmas devil, it's a slight stretch to I've had to use some artistic license to place him in the position of the shadow or the devil. But with a little tweaking of imagination, the Krampus works in that position as well, you know? And you can kind of see that the kids have put themselves in that position. Nobody has put the children in that position. They've put themselves in there because they didn't modify their behavior. And the devil card is all about how we perceive and modify our behavior. And the boy is being punished. The little girl is stuffing apples into her mouth with his wide grin, not realizing that she's next. Yep. No, and um, and that the Krampus cometh, and uh, so it's this. It's there's a there's a there's an element of redemption in there, but also there's an element of self bondage, of self sabotage, of the inner enemy voicing itself far greater or more powerfully than the sensible voice within. You know, and and I and I just love the Krampus tradition. And it's just speaks volumes of the mountainous, cold regions that gave life to that tradition. And and the fact that it's still alive and still celebrated is is uh, awesome, truly awesome. You know, it's awe-inspiring. It's beautiful to me as a person who is so far removed from Krampus, you know, I grew up in the tropics, I grew up in like Dead the Dead, and you know, and to have this demon, demon-esque winter uh, <clears throat> snow figure, because what you don't know, Chris, um, my very first snowfall in Chicago was a historic snowfall. It was the Hi. It's the third biggest one that ever happened in Chicago. So the third biggest one that ever happened in Chicago was my first. So I got to meet the concept of, you know, yeah. don't Initiation go out by in snow. snow. If you go out in the snow and be naughty, Krampus is going to get you way before I even knew about the Krampus. Exactly. So having this concept of yours truly so close to, you know, in my psyche, um, what the folklore of the region is like don't go out in the winter he's gonna get you who the winter <laughs> exactly exactly and i think that's uh partially a message that has become diluted in recent decades of christmas and uh yuletide festivities that there's one thing that is painfully missing from the reality that our ancestors 
experienced, and that's fear. They feared this season because the the true real danger of this season was that it would kill you without thinking twice. You know, I, I go to Finland as, as often as I possibly can in the winter, and I really have a sense of it there. Um, the sun doesn't rise above the horizon for 30 or more than 30 days. It does not rise. And if you get lost in the woods, you do not survive. You will die. That's that's the reality of it. You will die. Um, so the, there's this element of, of anxiety and fear. And when we look at Yuletide and at the symbology, we can see a trace of that fear in figures like Black Pete, in figures like uh, the Krampus, in the giving of coal, in this sense of modifying one's behaviour, of retribution, of, of the list. They're, they're all remnants of this fear, this true fear that human beings had in relation to Yuletide, particularly in regions like Northern Europe, mm-hmm. where the weather would kill you. So that, you know, it's it's easy then for us to, to conceptualise how figures of hostility, of danger, of peril rose up in that season because they represent that force and that power. And in paganism, nature is red in tooth and claw. Nature is not always looking out for us. There are times when nature wants you dead because she has a different set of morals And if you go out into the winter landscape of northern Lapland and you don't respect that landscape, she will have you dead. Yep. That's the fear and the terror and the reality of, you know. And we see so much of that remnant, that echo in Yuletide figures. But, of course, we've diluted that with commercialism and, you know, colour and joviality. And, of course, that is a part of it, a big part. But so is that element of trepidation, and of that respect for nature. We have grown so separated from it, right? So survival mm. is, the survival is celebrated in a different way. Yes. Consumerism, without understanding that the survival is real. It yeah. is real. Yeah. Because Temporary. now I can totally laugh about it and tell the tale like, oh my God, I was so yeah, <laughs> But I didn't have snow boots, Chris. So I put on my regular shoes Uh and walk on the snow because I didn't have anything. (laughs) The snow gotten into my shoes. So, of course, my socks were wet immediately after I got to my uh, place of employment. And I have to work all day with wet socks. Yeah. And if I had been outside... That would have made me sick, at least. Yeah, it would have, yeah. So now I can laugh, but I swear to you, I was crying. I was in the bathroom crying, thinking I was going to get hypothermia from the snow that got on my shoes. Yeah. (laughs) And and now I can laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh about it. Yeah, but the peril was there. The danger was there. The fear Mm. was as real as you and I are sitting here right now. Yeah. I thought I was gonna die. I was I thought I was done for <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then I so then I see this guy, the hand he's but nothing. Oh this is my little Odin, not so little. 
not a little Odin. He's he's a big Odin. And for those who are just listening, I, I'll have to describe the card. It's obviously a tree filled with wonderful, beautiful, uh, colorful fruit and leaves. Yet the ground is covered with snow. Yes. And this man is hanging there, waiting, uh, wearing, but a cloth covering mm -hmm. his privates. That's it. Yeah. And he's he's letting go something on one hand. They're, they're, those are the runes he's letting go of there. And then he's covering his his eye, which he has taken out. He's taken the eye out of his own head and sacrificed the eye to to a well in order to receive illumination. So, so much of the symbolism that are prevalent in Northern Europe come from the Northern lands, you know, the frozen lands from Scandinavia and Russia. And and of course, the from Scandinavia, we have the northern traditions and the Nordic folklore. And Odin is very often referred to as Yule Father, um, the the father of that particular season. So he fits perfectly into the concept of the hanged man, into the seeking of enlightenment and of illumination, because that's exactly what Odin did when he hung himself, gave of himself in order to find the runes from Ugdrasil, from the tree of life, from the world tree. So, of course, the, the tree is impervious to the weather, because this tree exists eternally and every single fruit of the world, you know, is, 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 is on this tree. Even though technically I think they often refer to Ogdrasil as a, as an ash tree. In this card, the Ogdrasil also represents the tree of life and the, the illumination that comes from the concept of the tree of life itself and Odin's sacrifice upon the tree of life. So he, he was the immediate choice. There, there was no other choice in my mind, for who would be the hanged man that it needed to be Odin. And for those who don't know or are not so familiar to, <clears throat> at the drop of a hat, think about the the mysteries, of, the mysticism um, on every single one of these archetypes. Uh, obviously, the book, <clears throat> excuse me, the book tells you a little bit of the story behind the card uh, yes. i love this i think new-ish way of llewellyn doing the books for the tarot and when i did my uh, unboxing chris i was talking so much about um how i love to have the card full page this yes. on the book and that yes. explanation and you give us some some keywords here for each one of the cards. Um, way to encourage people to practice bibliomancy, by the way. Oh, amazing. I love a bit of bibliomancy. Don't you love bibliomancy? I love it. And I love that mm. I was telling people in the review, you can do the card. You can do a card reading, right? You can pull some cards. You can follow the writer system, obviously, uh, but without separating from the imagery. Or as I say magically, you do you, boo. You read the way you read. But having the book is such a practical, beautiful thing because you can just go like this one. Yeah, oh, shall we do it? Shall we do it? Two oh. of canes. <laughs> what have you got? Two of canes? Yes. Oh, look what I got. I got the ace of canes. 
What? <laughs> oh my goodness, that is beautiful. But yeah, I like the I like the full page. But also things like you know when we we were just looking at so so say something like the Krampus, um, because you know I'm a druid and a tarot designer. I'm I haven't I have a, an appreciation for Krampus, but I'm not an expert on Krampus. But I did want to include Krampus because he is very much a figure of the season. But also what I hope is is that you know I've researched just enough material for somebody who is using this tarot to think. Do you know what? I'm going to look this up. Yes. And and look up Odin and Krampus and Sinterklaas and the Mary Lewid so that it whets people's appetites because it's only a, you know, a 300 page book. And we have to kind of focus on the tarot uh, expression of, you know, of the deck. And so I was very limited. And with Llewellyn, you know, for the major arcana, I only have the luxury of 450 words per card. That's not a lot of words. Yeah. And and that's all you can. So there's always a limitation as to what an author can put in a book because the publisher places a limitation upon you. And and they're limited by cost and all of the production values, you know. So, but I hope that what people will find is that it wets their whistle, so to speak, and allows them to go and look up, you know. I teach tarot. Mm. You have no idea how valuable it is to have this little image uh, of the major arcana laid out all and the three time. sevens. Yeah. The yeah. three septimals. And it's just, I mean, I love the book. I love the, I'm a sucker for boxes. So I just <laughs> love that is the hard box that it has the, you know. I love a box. <laughs> But I have to ask you a little bit of the um, inner inner things. How was it working with the um, artist, Erin oh. O'Leary? Erin um, O'Leary Brown, yeah. So the thing with that, right, which was so fabulous, is that Erin had basically no idea that this world existed whatsoever she's a children's illustrator children's book illustrator she had no idea that this this esoteric world existed she thought that was just something that happened in movies and we came across her work and I was instantly enthralled I'm like oh my word this is this is perfect I thought there's no way she's gonna do it so Llewellyn approached her and she agreed and I was absolutely blown away by her her willingness because when uh, an artist works in collaboration with a tarot designer there's sometimes not an awful lot of artistic freedom for them because I have a vision you know I have a vision that Odin is hanging from a tree that contains all of the fruits and the tree is alive even though it's winter and there's snow and he's got a loincloth and he's got a hand and the roots it's very very descriptive you know I don't leave anything out of the the vision the color is everything the color of the tree the color of the snow the color of the sky the color of the clothes the hair the eyes everything is designed um, so then the artist has to somehow replicate that. And she just did the most amazing job in the most gracious of ways. But there was there was one in particular um, where she she spotted the obvious, because I think for my chariot, I was I think I was trying to be too clever. I was trying to think of um, Freya in her chariot being pulled by cats. And and it's a and it's a fabulous image from 
northern Nordic tradition mythology. But for some reason, it wasn't working. We we weren't able to get it right. And I'm like, why is this not working? And then Erin, who was a complete novice to tarot, she turned around and she said, well, for the chariot, she said, wouldn't it just make sense if it was this? <laughs> to state the obvious, the reindeer pulling Santa Claus's sleigh, which is culturally embedded in all of our consciousness, regardless of what religion or spirituality we practice, it is embedded in our cultural consciousness. And and I didn't see that. I was trying to be too arsy and too clever. And and Erin kind of like went, hold on a second. And she got it spot on. And, and I'm so, so happy with it. So I said to her, oh, Erin, can you, can you just design it? You know, so she she just designed that. In moments, she came back with a, a pen and pencil illustration within minutes, you know, of, of us having that conversation. She was such a joy and a pleasure to work with. And she's really happy with it as well. So she's had some lovely experience with it. And also she's learned the tarot by proxy of just being immersed. See how why immersion is so important, isn't it? Yes. You know, you're immersed in something. It's not a task to learn it. Because you're you're learning it by osmosis, yeah. You're know, just absorbing um, that the wisdom of the tarot was still coming through. You know, and look at that one. <laughs> I love them. I love them all. I love I them. Cannot wait until, of course, the whole season. I will be reading with it, so I can get more acquainted with yeah. um, the images. And thank you I to Erin for for bringing that part, that dimension. Uh, <clears throat> I will have to say, Chris. Uh, Christopher, really, thank you to Llewellyn for this beautiful display of the card full page and then the description on the other page. I love yeah. that you give us the divinatory meaning and the reverse meaning. I can hear eyes <laughs> twitching out there uh, for the reverse yeah. meaning. You live, it's okay. Yeah, it's lovely. And also, you know, sort of, I also have to kind of thank um well not kind of just thank my my production editor becky so she she designed this you know she designed the interior she designed all of the things the little holly the little scrolls she she designed all of it and this candy cane design which i really love and and this is down to becky my production editor you know and then she designed this as well the box and everything that's on it and she's just done she's just done the most magnificent job and I've been very lucky. I've been lucky to work with Becky for all of my books. Every single book from Llewellyn has been done by Becky. So, you know, and if you go to the very front of it, you'll see, you know, it says book design by Rebecca Sims. And she's the most loveliest, loveliest lady and very gentle and very warm at Llewellyn Worldwide. And Thank you, uh, Thank you for yeah. pointing that out. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? So she does all of the internal stuff. And I think it was Cassie who designed the outside of the book, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah, designed yeah. by Cassie Willett, yeah. And and book design by Becky. Isn't that lovely? It is lovely. And it is lovely that you remember, because these are all the unsung heroes that when I open a tarot deck with the book, with the box, with the booklet, I'm always curious, like, who thought about this? Because this is yes. 
beautiful and enticing mm -hmm. and um like you say you know it makes you want to research more it makes you want to immerse yourself in it um i am so very fortunate to be able to speak with the author in this case and learn about your experience with the artist but also the whole process because the whole thing literally the whole package calls you in and i know for some this might sound like an infomercial i don't care uh, <laughs> buy it if you want don't buy it if you don't want i hope you buy it because it's beautiful and you can learn a lot of things but every little detail count to me it counts and you know i do my my videos i do my coffee break i you know so i appreciate having the book being able to do the bibliomancy reading yeah. a uh kind of like utilizing it in a very oracular way to just read perhaps the meaning, the message that you put in the front. I mean, there's so many ways to use these things. Like you were saying earlier, uh, writing on a book or, you know, with a divinatory tool, which is yes. a girl. Yeah, exactly. You can utilize it in whichever way, you know, tickles your fancy. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and with with things like tarot, the um, they don't occur and they don't happen in a vacuum. You know, so many people go into the making of these things. Um, you know, even though you know I sit down and design it and think of think of it all, um, there's a whole team then that rallies around to to bring these things to life. And Llewellyn do an amazing job of being supportive and encouraging and and just doing a really nice job. You know, I'm very grateful to them. What a pleasure is to hear you say the name Llewellyn. Llewellyn. <laughs> yeah, it's just beautiful to hear like how it's supposed to be pronounced. Llewellyn. Uh, mind you that for us who speak Spanish, before I ever heard it being pronounced, I was trying to say Llewellyn. Right, yeah, yeah. Very close. Uh, Chris, Christopher, you are not going to believe we have gone way over. Oh my hour. gosh, we have. And I can smell my pie. <laughs> Thank you so much for being so incredibly generous with your time. You're very welcome. Uh, it's been a pleasure I, I, and delight. I am very, very fortunate to count on you as a friend as well. And I appreciate our friendship so much. You have no idea. But thank, thank you for being likewise. here on the show to share with people about your products. Of course, you can, you know, you can buy where you buy books. If you buy the yes. book, please write a review for the author. That would be lovely. Um, you know, even if you haven't read the book, just say, I got the book, it's lovely. You know, because that helps them a great deal. It does. Um, what's going on for you very quickly next year, other than filming this documentary? Um, so, yeah, to... I have a bunch of television work um, ahead, uh, but I also have the release of the B Tarot, which I'm very excited about, which will be coming in March, April. So the B-Tarot will be launched at Paganicon in Minneapolis on March the 16th, I think, in uh, Plymouth, just outside of Minneapolis. So I'm excited, and I'll be there as well. I'll be there for the launch. So that's going to be a very exciting. We keep bees here, or rather my partner keeps bees, and, you know, I'm, I'm just an added extra. And... Um, <laughs> But I love the bees. The bees can teach us so much about ourselves, the world, and they fitted in perfectly with my my love of tarot as well. 
So I'm excited for that. So that's March, April. And then um, this winter, I need to sit down and start writing the next book because I'm a little behind because I've had a really busy year. Well, you're traveling the world and you're learning all these things that you're sharing with us. So um, needless to say, you're invited to come out to Lunatic Mondays when the B-Tarot comes out, obviously. Thank you very much. And um, thank you. I All I have to say left to everybody, uh, please listen to CSMP, the Circle Century Network Podcast. We have over a thousand hours of podcasts for you to listen, download, and share. Uh, the programming, you know, we have Circle Talks, Circle of Nature, Song of the Pagan Tribe, uh, Paganos del Mundo, Paganos del Mundo in Spanish and Portuguese. We have Lunatic Mondays, and of course, I'm missing Blue Marble. Um, we have all these shows with all these collaborators, and uh, Christopher Hughes, thank you so much for being on the show. I leave you the microphone so you can say goodnight to your audience. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure and a delight. I wish you all a very warm and joyous midwinter season, however you celebrate it. Be full of joy and love. And always remember that there's just a tiny bit of peril in there as well. <laughs> thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. I love that laughter. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. And as always, and never forget that you are loved. Love oh, love. indeed. Lunatic Mondays is a production of Laura Gonzalez for CSN Podcasts building bridges of community around the world. Thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow nature-centered paths. Join us throughout the week for various programming connecting with the community around the world. Please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash CSN podcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. Until next time, many blessings. <laughs>